we're in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 still. This is, I, I, um, I talked about a little bit about verses eight and, or 18 and 19 last week. I'm going to kind of continue with that a little bit uh, today. And we'll see how far we get. I, I still kind of have some of these things in my heart and don't really want to. I'm not in any hurry. Hope you guys aren't. Um, I want to take another whack at uh, a couple of these things. We were looking last time. Well, let me read the verses first. It says in, in verse 18, For the message of the cross, or the word of the cross, <clears throat> is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And I was trying to answer these questions, or try, try, try my best to take a stab at these questions at least, uh, that, that came up as I read these verses. One, why is the cross foolishness to those that are perishing? Two, in what sense is the cross power? to those who are being saved. <clears throat> and then the third one is, why does it say being saved? Why doesn't it say those who are saved? As it does uh, in, in other scriptures. <clears throat> so, let's, let's review a little bit. Why is the cross foolishness to those that are, that are perishing? I think it's foolishness because it rejects. It's because of... Man considers the cross foolishness because of what the cross says to that man or what the cross declares to that man. The cross rejects that man. It rejects everything about him. It, it doesn't give him any room to, to wiggle. It doesn't, doesn't receive, it, it rejects his, you know, in all the pictures in the Old Covenant, the first is rejected. The second is accepted. So, that's what the cross does. It rejects the first birth. It rejects the first it rejects the first offering like Cain. Cain brought the first offering, it was rejected. It rejects the 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 the, the birth of Esau. It rejects the kingdom of Saul. It rejects everything of the first of the first birth of the first man. And it stands in front of that man like a cherubim with a flaming sword. Remember the story the Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and God put a cherubim with a flaming sword there to guard the way to the tree of life. That's what the cross does. The cross guards the way to the tree of life. It doesn't let flesh near. It cuts down. It 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 says none can come. it says nothing you have can get to the other side. Nothing you offer is is what I want. Your wisdom is foolishness. Your righteousness is filthy rags. Your love is lust. Your excuses are fig leaf coverings. The things which are, Jesus says, the things which are highly esteemed in the eyes of man are abominations in the sight of God. That's a really strong verse. I think about that all the time. That's what the cross says. And for that reason... It's it's rejected. It's not it's not loved. It's hidden from. It's dodged by our by our theologies. Now I, I I mentioned last time that there are plenty of versions of the cross that are not foolishness. 
a man's version of the cross says something like, well, there's lots of different ideas of this, but something like God crucified his son so that you could keep living your life forever. Now, that doesn't sound like foolishness to man, but that sounds very attractive. You know, the idea, God God accepts you as you are. God likes you just the way you are in the flesh, in the first birth, in the seed of Satan. He likes that. And uh, and he wants to prosper that. He wants to protect it. And he wants it actually to live with him forever. That's what the... That's what man's cross says. And and God's cross has nothing to do with that. God's cross says, if you want to live, you have to lose what you call life. If you want to come to me, you have to understand that all your righteousness is filthy rags. If you want to have eternal life, you have to die to the life that you think you have now. And so that cross is the one that is foolishness. That's the one that... The preaching of, of that cross is rejected. The preaching of the other cross is, maybe it's ignored, but it's not, consi- I mean, a lot of people think it's maybe not worth their time, but but it, it doesn't sound naturally foolish to the natural mind. It sounds very appealing. It's, it fills churches, I think, every morning. But there's a cross that is foolishness because it, it turns man's pride into shame. And it turns his greatness into nothingness and it and and it says to every single soul you must become a child you must become nothing you must become a baby to enter in you must lose everything that you think is gain that's the cross that man hates and and man hides from in what sense is the cross power that was the second question the cross is power. That's exactly what the cross is. And, and, I, and I just want to say it again. Uh, the cross, well, well, first of all, the cross is the power of God in the judgment of the world. The cross is how God judged, made a division, put away the first and established the second. The cross is how God judged Adam, judged flesh, separated it from himself and brought out from the death something alive, brought out from the, the, the wrath, uh, the righteous wrath of God, something something new and something clean, and, and he, that, that was Christ. And then a, a, a life offered in Christ, and he made, we talked about that a, a couple times ago, he accomplished so much in 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 the the cross of Christ, and yet the cross of Christ isn't just power in history. It's not just power in Jesus. It's not just power in in, in the story. It's it should be the very same power of God working in the soul to bring that exact same separation, that that exact same judgment, that division, and and that exodus out of the one into the other in our hearts. And 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 that's that's what the kingdom of or that's what the that's what the cross is supposed to be to us. It's not supposed to be an idea. It's not supposed to be words. And that's that's what Paul is cautioning in this whole section here. He's cautioning Christians, like you and I who think we have something when we have true words, who think that we know something when we know correct words. He's cautioning us, be careful with that. He who thinks he knows does not yet know as he ought. Why not? Because the knowing isn't in the mind. The mind can can understand some things... 
the mind sometimes catches up to or, or puts words to or uh, tries to communicate in the weakness of words, the foolishness of speech, things that the soul experiences in Christ. But if you hold your Christianity in words, if, if your Christianity, if the cross of Christ is words to you, true words, historical words, theological words, then friends, you have nothing. You have nothing. You have an empty shell. I know that that I say, I say that strongly because I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the 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 problem with Christianity in in so many places and so many hearts and so many sermons and so many books isn't always isn't necessarily false words. Although there are plenty of those too, but the 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 problem isn't false words. It's a complete lack. It's the lack of power. It's the lack of actually experiencing the things that we believe. We don't know the truth. We believe the truth, but we don't know it. We have it, pieces and parts of it memorized. We have, we quote it, we claim it, we study it, we read it, we sing it, we dance it, but we don't live, we don't know it. It's not power. It's not power working in the soul conforming us to the death, the mighty, incredible, all-encompassing death of the cross and bringing up in us the seed of resurrection, the seed of God, the incorruptible seed, that, and, and, and making our souls be, become overspread and filled with the roots and the branches and the fruits of a seed that came out from the, the dead, that came out from the tomb, that opened up the opened up death and came out alive. Now see, that's a cross that that we don't know. And yet, Paul says the cross is the power of God. We looked at some of these scriptures. The kingdom of God, you know, here's another warning. Be careful because the kingdom of God is not a matter of words. It's a matter of power. What is the kingdom of God to you? Let me just ask you that. Think about it right now, those who are listening. What's the kingdom of God to you? Is it ideas, doctrines, future expectations? Is it something that's going to happen one day on earth? Is it something that's going to happen in your business or in your family? Well, what, what is the kingdom of God? I'll tell you what the kingdom of God is to Paul. It's the indwelling, resurrected power of Christ. Killing everything in you that isn't Christ and forming in you everything that is. That's what it, be careful because the kingdom of God was was always power in the types and shadows and is power now in the fulfillment of those types and shadows. And and Paul says, "Look, I'm going to come to your to your church and I'm going to know not the words of those who are speaking, but the power. Everything was a matter of power to Paul. When I was among you, I was not, I was not with the, the persuasive words of man, man's wisdom, but with a demonstration of the power of God. Not just power on the outward man, although that was accompanying the inward power as an outward sign for, for, for those who were only able to see outward things. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Friends, we either have, as Christians, we either have power working in our hearts, power of life, the power of love. <laughs> I can't say that without the uh, Huey Lewis song. 
coming to my mind. <clears throat> the power of love. Love is power. It's, it's not of you. It's not from you. It works in you. Life is power. Truth. True, real truth. Working in the inner man. It, it, it all comes out of, it's all from him, but it works in you in his light and it brings you to be what he is, not in, in yourself, but by participating in what he is. It, it doesn't allow, it, it doesn't let you be anything else. It doesn't let, if power is working in your heart, it's, I guarantee it's doing two things because there's two sides of the cross. It is working against every other power and authority that works in you. Every other thing that has risen up against the true knowledge of God, every uncircumcised thought and desire and every idol that reigns in your heart and every high place that needs to be cast down, if power is working in your heart, it is, it is powerfully working against all that. And it is powerfully exalting the king in the land. It's, 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 he's alive. He's not a dead doctrine. He's not an empty verse. He's not a book. He's not a book. I just feel like I want to say that to so many people. Hey, you know what? Jesus isn't a book. Everyone says, yeah, I know that. I don't know that you do. Your relationship is with a book. Is it with the living, resurrected power of God in your soul? No. Then it's with a book. It's a, a book you spend time with, a book you read, a book you memorize, a book you believe, a book you get excited about believing. Maybe a book you compare with other books and show, show, show how much better it is than these other books. And, and maybe you compare every other book and every other teaching according to, this, according to the one book. And maybe I love the book. The book isn't Christ. Christ is alive. And he's power in the soul of man to kill. He is power to kill. And he kills his enemies, just like David did, just like Joshua did. He kills them, just like the flood did. Kills them. Puts them to death. Ends your soul's relationship with them. Cleanses the land from them. Cuts them down. Chops them out of your heart. Leaves them gone. And that's not where his power ends. You could say that's just the fringes of his ways. Because the power also fills the heart with a new life that is so full of light and grace and love and truth and perspective. A a power that melts your heart into tears and shows you the insane love of God that He pours out by giving you His Spirit. Well, most Christians, it seems to me, hold their Christianity in words. Even those, the very words that they hold their, even though those very words warn them not to do it. Careful, Jesus says, you think that searching the scriptures is what gives you life, but I'm the life that the scriptures testify of, and you won't come to me. Are we doing that? Christians say, no, we're not Pharisees. Are you? Are you a Pharisee? Do you know the life? Is Christ life and light and love working in you? Because the scripture says he is. The, the, the words that we worship say that he is those things. 
Are you walking in darkness? Well, the first John seemed to think that if you weren't walking in love, then you were walking in darkness. What is love? Well, you better let him define that one too. In the light that comes from him. Christianity is not right words versus wrong words. It's not true words versus false words. It's not words we hear and words we preach and words we read and words we sing and words we try to believe and words we try to obey. There are, there are lots of wonderful words in the 66 perfect descriptions of books of the Bible that God gave us. But all of those books and all of those words describe a resurrected son of God who was given to the land of your soul to reign with a scepter of power, a righteous scepter over against every single fleshy thing that exists in you. Everything of the first man, everything of Esau's nature, Isaac's nature, Cain's nature, Saul's nature, that is to say, everything of the first man, the first birth, the old, the dead. He was given to you as power. Power to cut your soul with a giant flaming sword and put to death in you everything that you've called life, and to leave only one perfect seed alive that has been planted by God for a harvest. And then, and that seed, and, and, and again, I, I know this is, this is a progressive reality, I know it is, but it's still real. It's not so progressive that you can feel and experience nothing of it and sit back and say, I'm sure it's working somewhere in there. No, you feel it. It's real. It's not a. It's not. It's not theologically real, or it's not at least the only theologically real. It's it's powerfully real. It is one. God has planted a perfect seed in you. That will be the end of everything else in such a way that it, it, what will be left is Christ all and in all. Christ formed in you. Christ reigning on the throne of your heart. And you reigning as a soul with him. That is to say, you experiencing his reign over all that he is victorious over. You, that's what reigning on the throne is. It's not like he gives you a bunch of stuff to be in charge of for Pete's sake. Who would want that? Who would want that? Christian person who is listening to me. Do you really want that? Or do you want to experience his reign and his victory over sin and death and darkness and Satan in your soul, sitting on his throne in that way, so that everything that he has put under his feet is also under yours? And the cities of your heart are conquered by the one who reigns in it. I want that. To, to, to have some kind of a big gift given to me, a big ministry, a big crown, a big anything else that isn't Christ's reign in my soul, I don't want any of that. You can keep my share if, if you know, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want anything. I, I really don't think I do these days. I really don't. I, I want the kingdom of God established in my heart over and against everything that isn't Jesus Christ. I don't want Christianity. I want Christ. I don't want anything. 
And I don't want Christ in correct words. And I don't want to talk about how it's all about Jesus. And I don't want to say, I'm not, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want words. I want Christ and Him crucified as the only thing that I know. And the only thing that I experience and the only thing that I ever talk about. That's what I want. Well, Christ has done an incredibly powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. It, it's it's an, it's an it, it's 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 so much more amazing than the first creation, the new creation in Christ. It's it, it's it's a, the first creation. God's thundering voice saying, "Let there be light, and let there be plants, and let there be." Bugs. Do you know how many bugs there are? I mean, that's amazing. And, and, and fish. There's so many weird fish. That's incredible. But do you know how much, how, how much greater the new creation is than the old? Do you know how much more amazing the, the spiritual habitation that God gave to his second man is compared to the natural habitation that he gave to the first man? Do, do you know, do, do you know the power? That Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter four, the one who said, "Let there be light in the natural creation," is now saying, "Let there be light in you, in the soul, in the heart, to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." Do you know that light? Is it even is it real to you? It should be more real than the shadow. I mean, imagine yourself sitting on I don't know a nearby floating meteor when God created the world and, start, and just watching it. You got you know, you know binoculars and you're just wa- watching it. Let there be this. Let there be that. Let there be light. Let's separate the light from the darkness. How about some plants? How about some sharks? And, and the whole thing is just amazing. It's coming out, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a what is it? It's a shadow. Just a shadow. Of what? Of a work he wants to do in your soul. A new creation joined to his son that is the eternal habitation for his increase. That's what the new creation is. Old creation was a natural habitation, a living habitation for the increase of one man, the first man. The new creation is a living habitation for the increase of another man. And the way that he takes away the first and establishes the second is the cross. That's how he does it. He's got a really incredible tool that he uses. It's it's a it's a plow. It, it, it's a it, I mean it's everything in, in one. It's all wrapped up in one incredible instrument. It's the thing that he plows the field with and he reaps the harvest with. It's the, it's the thing that he plants with and the thing that 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 he 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 that he eats the fruit with. It's it's the it's it's the power of God. And. And we are so often just satisfied with words about it. Words. Let's debate about the cross. Let's not. Let's live it. Let's love it. Let's embrace it. Let's let him kill in us everything that we've thought was gain. I just, I, it's in my heart to say these things strongly these days. I, I'm afraid. Lest... We believe in vain. Paul said that. I'm afraid. Lest you have believed in vain. Well what is believing in vain? I think there's a few different. Ways we can. Maybe talk about that. But I I don't really want to. I think one of the ways. 
is to hold your Christianity in words. All right, let's look at this next thing here. Being saved. Why does he say being saved? I feel like there's a sense in which uh, a Christian is saved. And there's another sense in which it can be said that they are being saved. And both of those seem to me to appear in Scripture, but both of those realities. And I don't have a lot of um, great words or understanding, uh, but but I, I have some Scriptures and I have a little bit, I think a little bit of experience in my heart that I can speak out from, so that's what I'm going to try to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in this in, in this verse and verses like this, let, let, me, let me try to let me try to say it the best I know how. I think salvation can be spoken of as a process and as a present reality, and I think it can be spoken of a, in a, as a process and maybe two di- two two different excuse me two different ways. One. In, in the sense that we have to continue in salvation to the end. And there's a whole bunch of scriptures that say that. We have to cont- It's not a thing we get and put in our pocket. And, and just hold on to. Which is how most people talk about salvation. In fact, there's a parable that makes it really clear that that's not how it works. Jesus gives the, mi- the minor or the talent remember, to the guy and then he just keeps it. He doesn't lose it. He kept it. He protected it, kept it in his pocket. One of the mina, he kept it in his pocket. The, the talent, he buried it and kept it safe. And then, and what happened to the, the to the poor? What happened to the guy that kept it safe? Remember, it got, he didn't just say, "Ah, he didn't bring an ink." He took it from him. He took it away and gave it to the other guy. Okay, think about that because that's kind of that's, that's pretty interesting. It's not just something you get and put in your pocket. Although that's generally the way the Christians talk about salvation. I got it. I have it. Got it when I was seven. Got it when I was seventeen. Got it when I was seventy-seven. Still have it. I think. Pretty sure because I don't remember throwing it away. That's not what's that's and that's not what salvation is. I mean, maybe you did come to salvation when you were seventeen, but it's still not a thing that we get. It's a person. It's a person in whom we come to live and by whom we come to live and in whom in whom we abide. So that's one sense in which I think you can speak of it as a process because it, it, it's something you have to continue in. It's not just something that you you just you know you like you get a stamp on your hand or something. The, the, the second way that I think you can speak of salvation as a process is the sense in which the soul is progressively being saved from everything in it that isn't Christ. Yeah, that's a good verse. Salvation to the uttermost. I didn't think about that. I like that. He's able to save to the uttermost, Hebrews says. So there's a process in the soul where the soul is being saved from darkness, saved from sin, saved from being... Uh, a servant to unrighteousness, and so let me let me just read a few verses, and then um, make some comments about those. Um, the, the verses that I think are both b- both categories here. Some that speak of um, uh, 
holding on to the end and some that speak of uh, the process of being saved. One is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2.15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So then this is that cool verse where he talks about to some it's a fragrance of life, to others it's a fragrance of death. But anyway, it says the fragrance of life among those who are being saved. Um, Romans 5, 9 and 10 is an interesting verse. It says, Much more than being justified now by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, while being enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And this uh, scripture is one that uh, is really... um, I mean, among other, among many, I mean, among several amazing things that this scripture says. I mean, first of all, it just it, it implies that his life is our salvation. I, I really like that because that's exactly right. His life is your salvation. Your salvation isn't something his life handed to you. It's his life being given to you. It's it's you being placed in his life. His life is your salvation. But it also implies that having been justified, there is now this saving going on. Um, by his life. The life is actually doing something. It's saving. Um, this one here, James 121, I've always seen this. I mean, you can argue with these if you want to, but I, I don't, I won't argue back. Um, <laughs> Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And I, and I see the same thing there. You receive this implanted word, and it's able to... Someone says, well, when you receive the implanted word, you're saved. Yeah, maybe, but it's also able to save your soul. It's able to do something in you. It's able to, it's able to work in you according to its own nature and its own light. All right, Hebrews 10, 38. Um, now, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And I, 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 I see that to be the same. 1 Peter 1.8, again, these, I know these can all be understood the other way too, I suppose, but I just don't think that they... They are, meaning that. Whom having not seen you love, in whom, though not, though now you see him not, this must be King James, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, or the goal of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And I, I think this just speaks of uh, faith, Working in the believer according to this salvation. Working salvation in the believer. It's the goal. The faith is doing something. What is it doing? It's saving your soul. Okay. Other scriptures talk about holding on or staying in faith. Or the the, the necessity of the soul to have a present ongoing experience and reality of salvation and not to draw back under perdition as it says in Hebrews 10 but uh, let me read a couple of these here Hebrews 3 6 
But Christ, as a son over his house, he's comparing Christ to Moses. Moses was a servant over his house, but Christ is a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Or Hebrews 3.12. Beware, brethren, lest any of you be... Uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. Now there's the salvation right there. Partakers of Christ. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While, uh, while it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here's one. Uh, uh, I think it's First Corinthians 15, verse 1. I didn't write down the verse. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. Now again, you're... You're placed in salvation. You're placed in Christ. And you stand in Him. And that's where, that's where you experience salvation. But then he says this. By which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you. Here's another instance where the word is clearly not the words. Because it's not holding fast to words that saves anybody. There is, an, however, an implanted word, a living word that must be held fast to. So he says, let me read the whole verse now. I didn't even finish it, but let me just read the whole thing because I keep interrupting myself. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. Well... That's, I'll leave that to you to consider that. That's pretty intense. But, again, salvation is not a thing. It's not a status. You know, is he saved, I'm saved, you're saved, Bob's saved, Susie's not saved. It's not totally wrong, I think, to, to talk like that. But, but salvation is a person. It's having your soul participating, placed into and participating in that person, the soul. See, this is what this is. As far as I can see, this is what happens. The soul receives light from God. God shines His light, His living testimony. He shines light, and 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 that light, that is the faith that comes from God. It's the faith of the Son of God. It's the light that comes. And 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 if the soul wants to see in that light and wants to turn to that light then it finds in that light the power to believe, the power to know what is real. The power is in the light. The light is the life. And it has, there's grace in, in that light. He, the, you see, it's not separate. The light shows you what's real, and in that light there is grace, there is power to turn and follow and abide and grow and everything. It's all right there in the... In the power that's supplied by the light. You see, so, so God shines light. And the heart has power in that light. Usually what the heart does is it runs from that light. and Because it loves the darkness. And so it doesn't believe. But it does, it's not, not believing because God isn't offering light. It's not believing because it hates the light. And that's, 
And that's what the condemnation is. The condemnation isn't that light hasn't come. The condemnation is that light has come and men love darkness. That's John 3, 19, 20-ish, somewhere in there. The, the, the light comes, and in the light there is power to receive the light. And, and if you receive it, then he gives you what? He gives you power to become sons of God. That's, that's, that's John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness. And, and if you turn to that light, if your heart's willing to see with that light, and again, most people aren't. And that light, that light is their condemnation. That light, you'll never be condemned for not receiving light. You'll only be condemned for not, for, for, I mean, no, how do I say it? You're not going to be condemned for not, not having light shine in you or to you. You're only condemned for hating the light and running from it because you're, because you want to live in your darkness. That's the condemnation. Jesus said it so clearly. Light shines. Light is given. Light is sown like a seed. And in that light, if it's turned to, is power. Power to do what? Power to become a son of God. Not just to become one in status, to actually experience one son put away and another son established. There's power and it's the gospel which is the power of God to those who are being saved. That's another verse I didn't didn't quote. It's the power of God. The power of God to those being saved. What is it doing? Well, I just talked about that. It's it's killing you. And it's saving you. It's it's just it's doing the two things that David did in the land. What did David do in the land? Well, he killed a lot of folks. He, David killed he, David did two things. He saved Israel and he killed the land, killed everything else in the land. That's what he did. That's what God does in your heart. He killed David killed so he was a man of bloodshed. He killed so many people. He spilled so much blood. And what else did he do? Well, he, but by, killing, by killing flesh, he saved Israel. He established the kingdom of God in that land. That's, that's, what, he, that's what he does. And that's power, friends. Power. It's in the light. You, you turn to it and you find in the light grace. In other words, you find in faith, you find grace in faith. See, that's where, by faith, we have access to this grace in which we stand. Uh, Romans 5, 2. The way that this works is that God provides power in his Son in the faith. And true faith is light. True faith is his light, whereby grace is accessed and received. And we can stand in the grace by faith. Every, I mean, all Christians all over the place say, yeah, by faith, through grace, or th- by grace, through faith, you're saved. I mean, we say these things, we quote, they're in creeds, they're all, but what does it mean? What does it mean to you? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it needs to mean, at least something of it. It means that the light shines in the darkness and you turn and you find in that light power. Power to do what? Power to leave. Power to leave one man, one kindred in father's house. Power to leave behind Egypt. Power to leave behind Sodom and Gomorrah. Power to come out. Power to find Christ to be life. Reigning in the soul. Power to become a son of God. Power exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or think. Power that works in you death to to sin, death to Adam, death to everything, and life forevermore, the power of an indestructible life, the order of Melchizedek, the power that works in you, that, that reigns in you over all darkness. 
That's the power. It's not right to talk about salvation as if it were a thing that we get and we, we keep it and we check to make sure it's there. That's what the guy with one talent did. That's what the one mina guy did. He put it in his pocket. And then the, the master came back and said, you wicked and lazy servant, give me that thing. You didn't understand why I gave it to you. Give me that and give it to the guy with ten. And the people say, wait a minute, he already has ten. Yeah. To him who has, much more will be given. And the one who doesn't have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. I'm not making this up. That's what the scripture says everywhere. Salvation is a living participation by a living faith in a living person. A living participation by living faith in a living person. It's not your thing. It's not your status. It's... It's, it's, it's the Son of God resurrected and given to you in His own light to reign by His own power. And so long as your soul is participating in that person by living faith and drinking from His abundant grace and abiding in His, His, His conquering life, well then, heck yeah, you can say you're saved. But you're also going to say you're being saved. Because... You can say both. And the person that says that they are saved is also going to say that they're being saved. And I don't, know how to, I don't know how to make a whole lot of natural sense out of that. But I know this, that a person that really knows this reality, not in some measure, because I know it in a small measure. I don't know it in a great measure, but I know enough to know this. I know that the work of salvation is not done in me. I'll tell you that. I, I, I will not think of salvation as this done deal, money in the bank kind of thing that people talk about. I know, I know enough about salvation to not think like that. A person that really is knowing salvation knows that there are many territories in the soul that must be saved. Must be saved from darkness and idolatry and fleshly uncircumcision. Knows that there's high places in the land where there are still things that have risen up against the true knowledge of God. Where imaginations need to be cast down. Where sin still reigns. Where I still serve unrighteousness. Which, by the way, is a nature. Which is the nature of sin. Which is the nature of Satan. The nature of the serpent. In other words... The person who is experiencing salvation knows that the soul is like a land that needs to be conquered, just like the old land, just like the land in the types and shadows, because there's a true king, there's a true David that, that doesn't stop until the whole land, until all, of the, all the way past the boundaries, is at peace with the king that lives within it. There's a, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? There's a king, if you know the king, you know he has a sharp sword and he doesn't stop until two things are accomplished. There's no flesh left in the land and that his kingdom is exalted in every corner of that place. And then Solomon, then the one who builds the house can reign over the house in righteousness, joy, and peace. What is the kingdom of God? What does Paul say the kingdom of God is? He says it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. 
That's what Solomon does. He establishes a place to reign. What's it look like? Well, it looks like a land free from enemies, filled with the righteousness of God, at peace because there's no more flesh there to fight with. (laughs) That's the kingdom of God. And it's in the Holy Spirit, by the way. In case you didn't know where it was or what nature it was, Paul adds the phrase, it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. It's not in the Middle East. It's not in the Millennium. It's in the Spirit. Sorry, I'm getting a little worked up. Oh, Lord. Let me just say this, and I'm out of time. But if a person turns away from that faith, which in which is supplied all the grace, all the grace you'd ever need to continue in it, is poured out in that faith. But if a person turns away from faith, where are you going to find the power to remain in the grace? I just give that to you to consider. If there's no, there's, if you turn away from faith, where do you think you're going to find light to see? Christ and grace to abide in him and love to love him and follow him and power to be a son of God. Where do you do you think you're just going to find that in yourself? If you're not finding that in faith, where in the world are you going to find it? See this. I know the spirit strives. He strives long and hard with souls, but he will not force living faith upon you. He doesn't attack you with grace like the Calvinists think. I mean, I know that they don't say it like that. They call it irresistible grace as though God chases you down with grace and makes you believe and makes are you kidding me man has been rejecting grace he you know the, the, the idea and I'm not against Calvin I don't I don't even remember most of what he said but I remember this that there one of his little points is the irresistible grace as though he forces you he chooses certain people before the foundation of the world to, to believe and then he chases them down with grace and makes them believe because he has irresistible grace as though man can't resist grace friends that's the that's the one thing we're good at that's the, that's the one thing that I am really really good at, you know. I'm a decent ping pong player, but I'm a really good resistor of grace. That's the thing that I that I can really do. Man has been resisting grace since the very beginning. Somebody says, "How can how can man resist grace? Or is man is man stronger than God?" Look, it's really easy to do it. I'll tell you how you do it. Grace is sown like a seed, and it falls in different kinds of soils. It's really easy to despise that seed. You don't, you don't know what it is. You don't recognize it. It looks like a tiny mustard seed. It looks like a pinch of leaven. It looks like a, a pearl that's buried in dirt, and you can't even dis- distinguish it from the rocks. It looks like something very, very small at first, unless you turn to it. You can reject it just like... You you know, it's like the Jews. How can you reject the Messiah when he comes? It's going to be great. They all reject him. I mean, not all of them, but so many of them rejected him. How did they reject him? He was the grace and truth came in Jesus. The law came from Moses and through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. We're not going to miss it when he comes. You just did. That's what John was writing to the Jews. He came to his own and his own rejected him. His own did not receive him. How, how did we miss it? It's easy to miss grace. All you have to do is turn your heart away from the light in which grace is seen. All you have to do is do what most people do is trample on that tiny little mustard seed even even though you've accepted it with words. 
It's really easy to, to, to reject grace. It's not irresistible for the fleshy heart of man that loves himself and loves sin. It's only irresistible in the light when you turn and see what it is and find it to be power and find it to be power working in your soul against the man who would reject it and for in and by the man who God loves. Well, it's not a little diamond in your pocket, okay? It's not, it's not a personal possession like something you, you got at a drive through window and you still have it. It's not that. It's, it's, a, it's a life. It's a person. It's a precious seed that's sown into your soil. And you better, you better cling to it. You better turn to it or you won't even see it. And even having seen it, you better, you better walk in the light as he is in the light if you want to have fellowship with him. It, it's a living participation in a person. And it's a, it's a faith that lets you experience him who is salvation. And as you experience him, you experience him in every way. That is to say, you experience him as death to all that he is not. And you experience him as life forevermore. All right.